0: In Greece, in Spain, or Ireland, in England, or Fiji. We all of us are workers united, we must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. Welcome to Creatures
1: of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews with the people who made the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. These podcasts are sponsored by the Concrete Gang, in cooperation with Community Radio 3CR. Unbreak
0: a couple of concrete forests to back our log of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. Our Filler's Labour is a to make a man feel proud.
1: And you are on the Concrete Gang, welcome aboard and we're still in Western Australia and welcome Kevin Reynolds. Thanks Ralph. An absolute stalwart, not only of the BLF and the CFMEU, but of the building industry in Western Australia. How are you going? Yeah, good Ralph, thanks. And uh, this is, as we've said uh, in a couple of other episodes already, a bit outside the original plan for Creatures of the Industry, which was going to be about Melbourne and Victoria. But uh, as our old mate Johnny Cummins used to say, a building worker is a building worker is a building worker. And one of the things that's come out of these interviews, Kevin, is whether you're in the northwest, you're in Perth, you're in Melbourne, you're in the Latrobe Valley, the work's pretty much the same and building workers are pretty much the same.
2: Oh, yeah, I think that's exactly right, Ralph. I mean... Uh the sun doesn't rise and set in Swanson Street, mate. It's uh, a big country and...
1: We've moved on from Swanson Street, is in the street <laughs> now.
2: <laughs> wherever. <laughs> well, it's a big country. No matter where you're working, uh, uh, you've got to give your pound of flesh to the industry and uh, it's it's hard work wherever you are.
1: That's right. And, like, the work has changed and we'll talk about your experiences over the years. The work has changed, but... The fundamentals have never changed, even in the work. It's still concrete, it's still steel, and it's still bloody hard work.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, there's uh, nothing like the sound of a screaming Favco and concrete going up. That's what keeps us in business.
1: That's right. And, but maybe we don't have to use those bloody great big noisy uh, jackhammers <laughs> like we used to.
2: Yeah. Life has improved in some areas. It has, over 40 or 50 years.
1: Yeah. Now... 40, 50 years, let's talk about how you came into the industry, when you came into the industry and maybe some of that you don't want to remember but I reckon it will be of value to everybody, not just in Western Australia.
2: Yeah, Ralph, uh, uh, it's a long time ago, mate. Uh, I uh, I was born in Geraldton, which is about 300 miles up from uh, Perth and uh, my old man was a seaman. He was... uh, Able to get me away as a deck boy uh, when I was 17. Uh, I didn't last long at that. I got very homesick and very seasick, so that wasn't for me. And then I, my brother was uh, a carpenter and worked with Painter and Dixon, and they got me a job uh, digging holes on a building site there, and then I ended up with a company called Concrete Constructions. Uh, oh, there's uh, yeah. a name to remember. Yeah, Blast from the Past. Few shitheads amongst them, let me tell you. And uh, you know, I ended up as a dogman and doing a bit of rigging and whatever. And um, I uh, was encouraged by a bloke named Bob Olson, who was a long-time official of our union in Western Australia, and probably, you know, he would have robbed a bank to make sure that we got our uh, got our pay and and things went. uh, uh, went well for her. so uh, anyway the long and the short of it is he, he got me to uh come along to a general meeting or two and I ended up getting appointed as a temporary organizer for 3 months in 1972 um that uh by 1974 i think it was in uh april 74 uh the secretary at the time uh got sick I think he had a disease called finger in the till. uh, (laughs) A terminal disease. Yes, it was terminal for him, let me tell you. I got uh, appointed and went from there. Uh, We were a very, very, very small union, 1,100 members, no money. Two two organisers, myself and Bob Olsen. Then I took over as a sec and... uh, we were determined, uh, with the support, I must say, of uh, Normie Gallagher and uh, and Camo and all the rest of them around, who were around. Jimmy Bacon uh, all uh, all played a role in giving us support to uh, employ extra good good officials, people who went out and kicked ass uh, and turned the union around, and we become uh, a reasonable sized union for Western Australia. With, yeah, with just, a clout.
1: just digressing slightly, yeah. uh, for the, the listeners obviously uh, are hearing us but they're not seeing us and we are actually sitting next to a collection of boxes which contain, shall we say, a slice of history of the union and the building industry in Western Australia that Bob Olsen put together and uh, I just want to acknowledge uh, what a great job he did in collecting all these paper clippings, newspaper clippings, leaflets, posters, all sorts of stuff, which is the history of the industry and the union for probably 25 years.
2: Yeah, I mean, Bob was, uh, I think there's 18 boxes here. They're like those tubs you buy in Bunnings, you know, Hmm. and they're full of the history. Bob was a personal collector. He used to keep it all at home and he collected every... Uh, every uh, leaflet we put out, every wage sheet, every everything that we all the journals, everything, yeah. the whole lot and, uh And unlike some other branches that have dumped it, uh, we're lucky enough that we'll hopefully see this go into the Batty Library. It'll yep. be there for the future generations to see because there's a lot of history there. And uh, you know, if there's any. Uh, if there's a criticism we have, we don't tell our story. It's like uh, a lot of things in life, it just just disappears from the history. We need to tell the younger generation the story about the union and how it, how it did uh, become what it is today.
1: Yes, and uh, perhaps uh, I'm not going to be critical of younger people because if you don't know, you don't know. And it's up to the previous generations to make sure that the history is passed on. And it's a cheap way to learn. The experience of others is a cheap way to learn.
2: Yeah, that's dead right. And, I mean, uh, this is a a great innovation to put it down like this. I mean, uh, I I did 40 years in the union. A lot of people have said to me, oh, you should write a book. Uh, They all think there's, you know... We're like Al Capone or something. There's no stories to tell, but I mean, at the end of the day, uh, not everyone's got the 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 will, the memory, the ability to write a book. And I'm certainly one of them who's not going to be divulging anything that I may or people think I know. Whatever, <laughs> it's just all rubbish. But I mean, at the end of the day, this. Putting it down like this as oral history is a great credit to you and uh, the Concrete Gang and the people who have decided to do it. Well, I've
1: got to say I was also uh, the person who had it suggested to that I should write a book. And I said no because if you write a book you've got to put content in there and that means you've got to talk about other people. And I said no, I'm not prepared to talk about other people because that's not what we should be doing. But if somebody wants to talk about themselves and what they did, happy days. Yeah, that's right. Now, in that period, which was you know a memorable period, 72, 74, just for a start, with the Whitlam government and uh, the changes that were made at uh, a national level by Clyde Cameron. He was an ex-official of the AWU, but... From South Australia, they might have be a, been a cut above the uh, average. But uh, Clyde Cameron did a lot to change the face of industrial relations in uh, Australia. In Western Australia, okay, you're a small state in terms of population, but a big state in terms of area and resources. How How was the industry in those days, do you think? What was the good, the bad, because the resources boom would have been sort of starting then and that caused a massive amount of dislocation.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, I can remember my first trip to Port Hedland as an organiser in 1973. Um, You know, you had Transfields, EPT, you had uh, all the best people. They're, the, they're all there uh, building you know car dumpers and, and crushers and everything up there. And uh, to be honest with you, it was a lot easier them days because we had a right to organise. Yeah. You know, we got on the jobs. There was none of this business of you've got to give 24 hours notice, you can't come on the job or whatever. Um, most of the contractors... I just wanted you to get in, do your business and piss off, you know, get get out of it. Um, all the camps in them days, uh, we had access to, we could meet people before work, after work. Um, there wasn't a problem, they, we actually stay in the camps. Today, up there, they're all like prison camps. Uh, you cannot have visitors, you cannot, union officials can't get anywhere near them, Um there's security guards everywhere. There's 12-foot fences around And this is not one or two. This is every camp. Yeah. You just cannot get into them. So uh, the times in them days, but the wages and conditions were very, very poor, You know, that, particularly in Western Australia. I remember one of our first big campaigns was a campaign we had here called the Interstate Differentials, where we said to them, if you work for A.V. Jennings or you work for... I'm trying to think who the companies were them days, but if you work for Multiplex, for argument's sake, in Western Australia, uh, why don't you get the same as what you got in uh, as a builders' labourer in um, Victoria? Yeah. And uh, it was an argument that uh, we ended up winning, and we got uh, we got conditions and uh, wages uh, s- equivalent to the base rates in Victoria. We certainly didn't get. Uh, the Victorian Building Industry Agreement and a few other things that she's enjoyed over there but we did pretty well and um, and you know we then established reasonable site allowances in the northwest. West uh, so yeah it was uh, living they were good a- days. living
1: away from home and yeah, yeah, all those th- conditions that were absolutely fundamental to that yeah, area.
2: One of the you know you're living away from home uh, was uh, you know people talk about up here now three and one and Four and one and two and one. I think it was 13 and one them days. But, but you know, we, we got through it. Well, just my memory. Yep. Most of
1: these improvements were actually written into the award.
2: Absolutely. And uh, one of the problems we always had was that, um, and particularly with the BWIU, and they had some good officials, I'm not denigrating the BWIU in that sense, but I remember... Uh, uh, living away from home allowances, uh, even even uh, the Victorians used to scratch their head and say, well, what's that all about? Because you, you just don't have the distances. And the uh, BWIU were prepared to ma- give away the conditions we had for living away from home allowances It's one of the trade-offs. And mm. I remember we were going ballistic about it because they, they had no concept of people working 2000... Com- miles away from their home you know I mean we had jobs at the time at Lake Argyle. Uh, civil and civic did a job up there uh, that's nearly in Darwin you yeah. know and uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's about 3,000 miles from Perth so um, they wanted to uh, extend the, the living away not not reduce it extend it as uh, as a trade-off so you know they were tough times but you know we got through it
1: now just I think I'm getting a bit interested in what it was like in those days, in particular because our old mate Johnny Cummins he yep. went up the northwest. Yeah, he took over from Jim Bacon. yeah, as the organizer in the northwest. And I mean, for those who don't know, Jim Bacon was a builders' labour organizer in Victoria. Came over to Western Australia, as, as Kevin has said, to help. Ended up going to Tasmania, and ended up the Premier of Tasmania. And a lot of people don't quite realise that a builder's labourer was actually head of government in one of the states of Australia.
2: Well, he certainly was, and he never, ever forgot where he no. come from, that's no. for sure. But it's interesting, Jimmy, uh, in uh, mid-70s, I think it was, Jim married a girl who was from Western Australia at the time and uh, then moved over to Western Australia and... Uh, We got him a job, Uh, he didn't want to be an organiser at the start and we got him a job with the public works department and he he worked there and then uh, the opportunity came up for him to go to the North West, he did that, he was the first organiser we had in the North West and then uh, he was there for a year or so, I'll never forget it and Speed Morgan who was our secretary down in Tasmania. The one and and only. The one and only (laughs) Speedy Morgan, uh, Australian bike riding champion and. Rode with Hubert Hopperman. He was he was a a big big man. Well, unfortunately, Speed passed away, and I remember Gallagher said to me uh, one morning because we'd all gone down to uh, Tasmania because of Speed's death, and Gallagher said we've got to get an organizer here. Do you think Jim Bacon would take it? And I said no, no. Jimmy's happy in Perth. He he's happy over in the West. He uh, no chance of Jimmy taking it on. And he said, well, son, I hate to tell you, but he's on the plane tonight. He's coming <laughs> over. And then he said to me, he said, uh, well, he knew I was angry and I didn't want to lose Jim, and he was, he was a vital part for us. He said, if you can find someone in the Victorian branch who wants to go over to the west and take it on, good luck to you. I'll support it. Was oh, that right? Well, he didn't know. I'd had some discussions already with Camo. <laughs> to try and get him as well. I didn't think I was losing bacon, but I wanted to get Camo <laughs> as well. And Camo said, yeah, it's a challenge, I'd love to do it. So I ended up going back to Gallagher sometime later, not that much later, and saying, well, I found someone who wants it, mate, and it's Johnny Cummins. And uh, he was, uh, in my assessment, the best union organiser I ever worked with, the best official in terms of, uh, of my involvement and... Uh, he come to the west. He did a couple of years up there in the north, uh, and mate, he for, you talk about the wild west. Uh, John come with the uh, with the Victorian attitude and the Victorian rules, and he implemented them in the northwest. And yeah, one thing he also come was a good set of good set of mitts, mate, because he used to have to punch on a bit.
1: Few arguments got settled in the uh, car park outside the pub at Caratha Yes, that's dead right. On a Friday night. Well, <laughs> just I'll just reflect for a second on you and Gallagher sitting there playing poker. See ya, raise ya. There wouldn't have been too many people, Kevin, who would have even sat down at the same table as Norm to play poker. The fact that you uh, actually beat him because uh, yeah. John was going to be. Like the future in Victoria, that's my always been my understanding, and Gallagher would have been seriously pissed off. Yeah, he was that he, he, he that that you'd grabbed him from under his nose.
2: I think at the end of the day, buddy, he recognised that this was a good learning curve for John. I mean, my assessment from in the seventies of Victoria was: you said jump, and they said how high, yep. you know, and. Uh, You had no ticket, no start wrapped up. You had, you know, you were massive, financially very good. You're a massive organisation. Governments shit their pants. Um, And Gallagher, I think, in the long run, saw this as a good learning curve. He always knew he'd get John back. And, uh, you know, it was. I remember when Johnny uh, said to me that he had to. uh, he had to come out of the West because his missus had said, look, I've had enough of this up here. It's, uh, it's either we go back to Victoria or we go to Perth or whatever. So he came come and saw me and I said, well, come to Perth and uh, we'll sort it out. And When he came come to Perth, he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, listen, the one thing we've got to do here is we've got to get out and we've got to establish no ticket, no start, exactly the same as Victoria, right, and let's turn that on its head a bit. And he was a great teacher. I had some good organisers, but they just didn't have that killer instinct like he had and didn't have the knowledge and ability. You know, John, uh, I'll never forget when John left, he said to me, He said, Kevin, we've had 64 homers, 63 have been paid, and we've, we've won what we won. And then there was one that hadn't. He said, You've got to give me a guarantee you get this sorted because he was going back to Victoria. That was a bloke named Alan Rocher, who ended up being Senator Rocha, owned a company called Trident Building Company. And I've told this story many times. He, I rung up Roacher and said, come on, mate, you're just going to keep getting pounded or you're going to have to pay. He said, why don't you and me go out in the back blocks and we'll settle? He's a big bastard, this bloke. And I said, no, you might win that fight, but you ain't going to win. the." <laughs> and he didn't. He ended up paying. So, uh, Yeah, but that that established us here and uh, financially it made the the union strong. We copped criticism about no ticket, no start all over Australia. But I always had the attitude I don't support freeloaders. Uh, If you want the benefits of uh, the best football club in Australia, being Collingwood Football Club, then you've got to be in the club. And uh, that's uh, that's the way it was there. If they wanted the, the conditions that... If we won as a union, then they should be in the union. Now, for those who are listening can't see me,
1: I've got the shakes up here. Oh, come Uh, on. Collingwood. I mean, one of Camo's sayings was, as impartial as the Collingwood cheer squad. You've just heard it. You've just heard it. But let me just say, hallelujah, because in Western Australia, the North West was rough, but correct me if I'm wrong, Earth wasn't too bloody nice either. It was pretty it was pretty full on. Oh yeah. Well, a lot of people coming and going making a quid, running out, leaving debts behind didn't care.
2: It's very much the wild west here. It's you know, I mean we've always been a con- very conservative politically conservative state and you know, uh very 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 tough days the employers were uh were very, uh, very right-wing, you know, uh, the MBA, uh, the Chamber of Commerce and Industry them days. I mean, uh, they just hated us. They just, you know, and there was many a campaign. We've had big blues campaigns where, you know, been on strike at at Telfer for arguments. So, you know, Telfer, which is a gold mine right in the middle of the Simpson Desert out about four hundred miles east of Port Hedland, and there was one road in and one road out, and we had a six-week strike there over, uh, over uh, money, over, over side allowances and what have you. And I remember we had to picket the place, so we towed a caravan from Perth up there with people from the T.W. who organised T.W.U. the B.W.I.U. I think were involved ourselves and what have you, and um. You know, we uh, we were on the picket line there. We parked the caravan on the side of a gravel road uh, and the station owner, I'll never forget, he come out there and he had a three o three rifle and threatening everyone and what have you. Uh, and then he just said, I was a prisoner of war in Changi and the Japs were better than you commo bastards. And, I mean, we were we were there, and he's a station owner, but we were there fighting for decent wages and conditions for a site that's in the middle of nowhere. And the only way we won that was that we turned the trucks around, which brought in the food. Yep. And they run out of food and flew everyone out of the place. Uh, I mean, we've had those sorts of, uh, you know, Twiggy Forest is well known to everyone now. They built Murrin Murrin. I mean, we had a massive blue there over. The joint was full of maggots, mm. uh, the the, uh, the lunch uh, sheds and uh, not lunch sheds the the kitchens where they provide the the meals three meals a day out of there infestation of blowflies get in and maggots everywhere and then uh, what do they do they turn around and say oh the workers planted the maggots and all this you know uh, again on strike for seven weeks there all lost time paid cost him six million dollars He can afford it. Though that name does raise
1: a thought in my mind. Is Western Australia a little bit different from the rest of Australia in that being a a smaller place, an isolated place, families have become rich, they've become the establishment and you are dealing with generations of the same attitude, just passed on from generation to generation. mm -hmm. Even recently I noticed that uh, there's a independent liberal got up in uh, the federal election, but she's a Cheney. Yeah, I mean, Liberal Party aristocracy, absolutely. The Twiggy Forest is part of the forest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the forebears were premiers and judges, and God yeah, knows what. Right. Right. It's
2: the same. Pe- it's a ruling class, isn't it? It's very much a ruling class, you know. And uh, look at Gina Reinhart. Yeah, you know, she's another one. You know, yeah. A Lang. I mean says uh workers should be working for two dollars an hour just like they do up in uh in asia um and the richest woman in australia richest person in australia yeah. so yeah yeah there's a there's very much a ruling class here and it, it it's not a it, it's in the city as well, you know yeah. you do projects in the city and that you know i mean we've had time and time again we've had disputes in the city over things that are just taken for granted, you know, like in other states like Victoria, you know, getting man of material hoists on building sites, getting getting site allowances, getting conditions, getting lunch sheds. It's always a battle because no matter what, uh, they, there's always this attitude that, you know, building workers uh, are overpaid, are getting far too much, you know, that they... You know they're always screaming that lollipop people are on the stop-go signs are being paid exorbitant money and they you know they lay them back in their lounge chairs while we're out there working sixty and seventy hours a week. Now, in terms of Perth, yeah, as opposed to the northwest,
1: which is, well it did I suppose have one advantage uh, for you people organising in Perth. When the work was slow in Perth, there was work in the north-west and that kept, for the price of labour, it kept it up more than it kept it down, I would have thought, because it it was a bit of competition for labour in, an e- in a time when it was difficult to often to get labour. But when it went down in Perth, what else was there?
2: Well, what you had here was a boom and bust industry. Yeah. And where, as it goes... When it went down in Perth, quite often there was work in the northwest, but not yeah. everyone wanted to go to the northwest. Oh, of course, of course, you know people have families and have reasons why they can't do these fly uh, these, uh, well, what we call now FIFO jobs, fly-in, fly-out jobs. Um, but in them days there wasn't fly-in, fly, in, fly You went and lived in a camp in the uh, in, in my days, um, and not everyone can do that. But you know the problem is. It's a very small industry here in terms of it's a small city yeah. compared to Melbourne or Sydney. And when there's not many uh, tower cranes up, there's not much work around, yeah. people, are, people have got to go and work where they can find a job and it may not be in the building industry. It could yeah. be doing anything. Uh, and we lose, we lose people because they'll, you know, some of them will travel, chase work in Queensland or Western Australia or uh, Melbourne, Sydney, wherever. Uh, so, yeah, it is a boom and bust industry and it's, uh, uh, it's a very, sometimes, like at the moment, it's very hard to attract people to come over here.
1: Well, just in the time I've been in Perth, the number of sites that have been cleared, ready to go, but nothing's happening, yeah. I, I, was, I was quite uh, surprised by how many sites were ready to go, but nothing, nothing.
2: There's no labour. There is a very big shortage of labour here, there's no doubt about that, but uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping next year, we're told there's going to be a bit of work around in Western Australia so let's hope some of these jobs do get going um, but there's many reasons uh, finance reasons all sorts of reasons that are outside of my ballpark but uh, we just hope that they get going next year
1: Now, one of the things that I've noted too in this little visit to Perth is the city, the CBD, like it stands out like a sore thumb. It is big in terms of height, but it's a very small area. There doesn't seem to be quite the same um, sort of alternate CBDs that you have in other places, Sydney, Melbourne and so on even in even in Hobart there's like uh, there's distinct areas of development, not just the actual c b d no is was uh, that a government policy or is that just the consequences of the well, industry
2: well it's that that's that's the way it is uh uh if there is multi story work anywhere else other than in the c b d they're usually unit development they're not uh there's, there's no business development outside of the CBD. Everyone, everyone wants to be in the CBD. I don't know why, because it's a, it's a disaster at the moment. The CBD, but there's a few multi-story, you know, twenty, thirty-story blocks of flats, or they're not much better than that. Some of them that are being put up these days uh, around the place, but there's, as I say, no, no business development outside the CBD. Um, but again, we're We've only got, you know, nearly two million people. Uh, it's a pretty small city. And one of the things that happens here is uh, everyone, uh, when they knock off work, they just travel miles. You know, it's not unusual for for workers to travel 60, 70, 80 kilometres to their home. We're a very, very spread out City, both uh, north and south. Um, so people jump in the car and away. Unlike I, one of the things I always used to notice in Melbourne was workers would have a beer after work because they lived in the inner city. You know, uh, yes. talk about Cummer, the John Curtin Hotel and that. You could always have a beer with these guys after work and then you could toodle off. But combination of drink driving and uh, time and 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 the other thing is here is uh there is a big push for you know building workers to on many of the sites to work ten and twelve hours yeah. a day yeah. uh and then uh they just gotta jump in the car or on the train and get home yeah. um but no there's not uh, there's not much other than what you see in that city block um you get three or four multi story projects going and that that keeps us busy yeah now that just sort of puts in
1: a thought into my mind that going back to when you came into the industry, the union, as well as the industry, was very much housing-based. Would that be right?
2: Oh, no, not really, no. I mean, uh, we we never have had a foothold in the cottage development, right? I mean, if you're talking about unit development, yes. Oh, right, yeah. Units and... Uh, that sort of uh, development, yeah, we, we certainly covered The old, old six-pack. Yeah, covered those sorts of things and, and bigger. Yeah. But uh, the, uh, the single-dwelling unit, uh, mm. it was always a big issue that, you know, you, you go and stand them cottages, up, or what we call cottage development, stand them up and it's usually mum and dad trying to get their house finished yeah. and they're paying rent. And quite, you know, we didn't get into that. No, it was uh primarily them days you know we we st- was shopping centers was was in this the city block uh, uh, you know similar to everywhere else i suppose but uh there was uh many of uh, many of the big disputes that we had were on the refineries banana uh, mm, yeah, yeah, all yeah. those sorts of places uh they were the areas that uh we had Big disputes, and most of what we we won in the city block uh, didn't take us long to to uh, to win them and we, you know we uh, we won the thirty six hour week and we won better conditions like you know superannuation and bloody long portable long service leave all of those things. I remember when I started in nineteen seventy two we never got paid for sick leave there was two weeks' annual leave. Uh, there was no such thing as side allowances, there was no such thing as, as uh, portable uh, long service leave, all of those things. And let me tell everyone listening, none of them, not one of those things that we ended up winning were given to us by the boss. Every one of them had to be fought for one way or another. And, uh, and the big thing in them days... Uh, that is totally different today. But the big thing in them days is we worked as a federation, as a yeah. collective. Yeah. If I had problems here with Jennings, who were a big company, ended up which was with, pretty easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> ended up being a Fletcher construction mob. But yeah. when we had trouble with them, i ring up Gallagher, say, listen, we're having a problem here, mate. Can you give us a chop out? Yeah. And that afternoon there was a few concrete pours being stopped and they'd come to the hill and vice versa. Yep. Yeah. And vice versa. And that went on, you know, you just don't ever hear it now. You know, national stoppages. You don't hear about, you know, wage campaigns or anything like that. Just, I don't know what's gone wrong, but it's not happening. And it's from from the ACTU down.
1: Don't start me about the ACTU. But one thing that is definite, and that is a massive change for everyone, is all the laws and, and... all the efforts of Liberal and Labor federal governments to remove the right to take industrial action, the right to enter a site, all those things have just disappeared since probably my memory, early 90s. Yeah. Laurie Brereton was a Labor Minister of Industrial Relations under Paul Keating and the rot
2: set in and it has just gone on and on and on. And uh, it's, it's been the same... Here, it's the same everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's Labor, Liberal, yeah. who's in power. The right for workers to organise, the right to to get onto a site and to look after the wages and conditions for workers, look after safety, mm-hmm. has always been hamstrung by bloody governments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I must say, you know, we went through royal commissions, we went through deregistration and all the rest of it, and... None, none of us ended up in handcuffs. None, no. none of the bullshit no. was ever ever shown as to be factual. Yeah. And, but the penalties that have been applied yeah. to the union, particularly the construction unions throughout, mm. uh, has been horrific. Yeah. You know, I mean, the fines that they put against the union for, for daring to go onto a building site to try and improve the conditions of workers... It's just astronomical, you know, millions of dollars of fines. I remember we had a dispute in the city here with Leighton's. Uh, uh, For a couple of weeks, we had a. Yes, put the cross up.
1: Yeah. okay. (laughs) Never mind. Sorry, Kevin. Just Leighton's is a word that just sticks in my head.
2: Yeah, well, you know, they sued the arse office there because we had a dared to be on strike for two weeks over the. Over a night shift dispute, they, they when we did the agreement, there was never going to be any night shift and uh, then they then they changed uh and said no we 're going to work night shift we 're not paying penalties. Everyone else in town was paying double time for night shifts they wouldn't pay three million dollars we got fined the workers got fined the hundred and seven workers one hundred and seven yes on they yes. yeah, all got fined individually um, now we uh, were able to Sort out those fines, uh, and the individual workers didn't get end up having to pay them, but that was the start of finding workers individually, uh, start of trying to put the union on the back foot, uh, and it's just gone ballistic. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's yeah, it's it just just blows me away. I can't find words. Well, in, in fact. My
1: understanding has always been that the West Australian Conservative Government—I can't quite remember which Premier it was—but probably Court introduced the first task force. Yeah, nineteen. Yeah, and 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 had the uh, if you like the practice run at uh, what
2: then got adopted right across the country. Yeah, it was in ninety-two. Yeah, and uh, he um, the the. Uh, the inspectors, as they were called, were given the authority as, as, as police officers, right? Yes. They didn't have the, the authority to arrest, uh, but they were special constables, I think they used to call them, and they were able to detain you but not arrest you and that, you know, so, yeah,
1: but... Uh, and take evidence, which could then be used yeah, against you in a court.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. the cops. Let
1: yeah. me refer to my notes. All fabricated, of course.
2: Yes, there was plenty of that. I mean, there was... uh, uh, I honestly can't remember the name of the Minister for Labour at the time. It'll come to me after this interview, but the one saving grace was that he got knocked off in the elections by a fellow named Tony McRae who worked for us as an industrial officer. Uh, So (laughs) we've seen the end of him.
1: Yeah, well, unfortunately the practice run they had here has become the absolute standard and we've just had a federal election where undertakings have been given to yeah. try and put industrial relations back into a, a more rational perspective. Because oh. I, cause you would have, in the, in the day, had the authority under the Act, the Arbitration and Conciliation Act, to actually issue the right of entry. To your organisers, that, would that be Oh, it right? was,
2: yeah, we had... Uh, it was issued yeah. by the Secretary of the Union. Yeah, that's right, and, and uh, we, it was originally in the award. Yes. We had a right of entry, and if, if a person refused to join the union when we were not, he could be replaced within seven days by a unionist. Hmm. Um, uh, that was all in the award back uh, in what we call the good old days, but they, uh, they got rid of all of that, and now we've got undertakings, as you say, but I'll believe it when I see it. But uh, You're not going to hold your breath. Yeah, well, I'm a bit too old for that now, but, you know, yeah, it, it, it's all there before us. Let's hope yes. that uh, we can improve things. Yes. Now, the
1: sort of changes that you've seen over the journey, what do you reckon were the things that stick in your mind as being great developments what maybe didn't work uh, and what has been as we've just discussed what has been a disaster for the industry because my thought is always that bosses like to grab the upper hand and then when it all goes bloody wrong they all suck up and go i mean i remember Big boss of John Holland saying to me one day, "The worst thing we ever did was deregister the BLF. It's taken us ten years to recover from that." Yeah, and I, and, and, and his reason wasn't because of fairness or justice. It was a case that disrupted his business. It it it,
2: it stuffed up their cash flow. Yeah, I think. Uh, I look, there's so many things that have, uh, you know, if you look. Uh, Things like portable long service leave were a great great advance. The wages and conditions when we had decent allowances, productivity payments, all those things. But unfortunately, because of what we've said about governments, about the, the ability to campaign on jobs, all those things have been whittled away. A lot of them have been traded away. You have to tell it as it is, you know. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there's builders of... Uh, uh, tried to do their best to get rid of uh, rusted days off. You know, I mean, uh, they used to be sacrosanct. They're not these days. You know, and I mean, there's so many things that are, and it's it's affected our membership. There's no doubt about that. Uh, when you can't get onto sites to represent workers, and uh, they, why are they going to join the union if you can't get there to to work with them and, and to to Look after their interests, so it's been a battle, and these are the things I'm hoping, uh, with some modification to the laws, we can improve. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, the I, I talk with builders now, and particularly with subcontractors, who say they used to make more money when there was a enterprise agreement on the site that set a a, a base level for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, wall and ceiling fixing contractors will say to you, you, know, they never made so much money as when we had EBAs, and everyone had to be on an EBA, because uh, at the moment it's just a race to the bottom, uh, and that's uh, you know, that's no matter uh, whether it's the builder pricing a a, a multi-story job. You see some of the shitheads who are getting work here in this state now building 40-storey blocks of units and that, just exploiting kids, exploiting apprentices. Uh, it's just it's just shocking what goes on. Um, and the and, quality of work is Oh Mate, poor. we're very lucky we don't live in an earthquake zone because yeah. these buildings are all precast, just thrown up, and they'd, they'd crumble. But, you know... they the organisers and everyone here—they—they're doing their absolute best, but I mean, at the end of the day, um, they're—they having their uh, their rights of entry taken off them. They're being prosecuted individually. They're being prosecuted uh, uh, as individuals. Uh, there's all those sorts of things. And that and the benefits that we saw that we were able to achieve during the eighties and nineties, as I said, are just just being whittled away and to some degree of most of them are gone, you know. Yeah. Uh,
1: and a lot of those things, especially in Victoria, like uh, the 36-hour week, that was the trade-off for the increase in productivity. Yeah. Because people can talk about uh, builders, labourers getting paid a lot of money and all the rest of it. But building workers, not just labourers, but building workers generally... You put up a 20-storey building these days, you do it in, in half the time with probably less than half the labour. And the 36 was to give us a share of the increased productivity. Also, hopefully create some more work for more people. Yep. But no, not enough. Never it's enough. Never enough. Never it's enough never. for the boss. He want. He wants. It. <laughs> he yeah. not only wants the work and the productivity increased, but he also wants to take back the things that might cost him a few bucks.
2: Yeah. Well, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's never, never enough. But you know, we just got to keep on battling and try and win them back.
1: Well, it's ne- the, the nature of the industry has never changed. Never has. And even in in Victoria, where the boom has. I've really got to be honest and say I reckon the boom's gone 15 years and it's hardly drawn breath. But at some stage where capitalism cannot control things in a rational way, we have boom and we do have bust and uh, when that happens, the beast bites back and uh, building workers generally are on the the receiving end of the worst of uh, the economic conditions.
2: And that's what we're looking down the barrel of right now, you know. I mean, uh, I'm certainly no economist, but I can tell you everyone's talking about recessions, everyone's talking about things getting a lot tougher than they are at the moment. And
1: capitalism is not a rational uh, system, and so self-interest of one employer versus another employer... It's the very opposite of a union, which is a collective approach to things
2: oh I think with the with them uh, it 's always the lowest will always win, mm. and therefore it's a race to the bottom. you know we've got projects in the city now where b- builders have taken on projects, knowing they're going to lose money, yeah. so the only way they can win is to screw the subby oh. and the subby screws the worker and uh,
1: burn the subby what a beauty
2: yeah, and I mean it's just uh It's just a constant problem in our industry, Mm. Um, and you know you've got then you've got foreign labour being brought in. They're begging the government to bring in more foreign labour to exploit Mm. uh, left, right, and centre. Um, uh, So yeah, it's 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 a product of capitalism. It's not going to change in the near future, and it will be a battle that we just have to keep Mm. punching on with.
1: Yeah, so they did, uh, the Morrison government did the uh, South Pacific a big favour and uh, let people come in and do uh, seasonal work and all the rest of it and they all went home ripped off. Yeah, well... That- and, and then they wonder why these people from these small island nations uh, basically say, stuff you.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, there's plenty of that goes on here in the in the... Different industries, not just our industry, but you know, f- farming industry, picking v- fruit and vegetables, yeah. uh, everything. You know, the the uh, mo- in the strawberry industry, the amount of people who are just exploited and, and living like like animals in mm. in the uh, in accommodation that the boss is supposed to have supplied was shocking. Well, I was. <coughs> talking
1: uh, in one of the previous episodes uh, with Alan Hughes and after we had the interview, Alan showed me his father's um, enrolment records for service in the Second World War on behalf behalf of uh, the British government because he came from Wales. On his... Enrollment record was a description, you know, name, address, date of birth, then his union membership, which union he is he a member of, and what his union number was. And that was the official document of the British Army. Yeah. And you think to yourself, I can remember, you know, family history, the union was like, it was – you didn't even think about it. It was an integral part of your life. There was a mortuary <coughs> fund. A union had a mortuary fund. So, uh, return servicemen, the union knew who the return servicemen were and looked after them, and so on and so forth. It's just like it's a, – a, 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 we've gone from being a collective fighting organisation to an RACV. Yeah, you know, that sort of service provider.
2: Yes, it's. Uh, uh, what do you say? It, it, I mean, one of the problems I think is that young people of today, like when I was a young bloke, my old man was in the union yep. before me. He was yep. a seaman in the union. I always was brought up with union knowledge. He wasn't a he wasn't a delegate, or he wasn't strong, but he was a he was a union man right and uh and i i grew up with that sort of background uh, but what you find now is young blokes their parents weren't in the union and some times their parents weren't in the union mm. you know going back a long way so you you talk to people don't even know what the word means mm. uh young people today right and there's very little uh we haven't, we haven't sold our product very well. You know, we haven't done done a good job on, on uh, uh, on convincing young people of the benefits of collectivism, mm. of, of being part of a union, uh, and a lot of that is deliberately because of the way we've been uh, hamstrung by, by the ruling class. Uh, to try and you know stop us getting on site to try and prevent us from mm. saying we can't even put a flag up these days you can't put a sticker on a helmet you can 't wear a t shirt with c f m e u on it what a what a joke, what an absolute disgrace you know mm. um but that's uh that's how much control the boss has got and uh through through his lackeys in government and all the rest of it you know we've had some great. Great young blokes who have really, you know, l- l- let me try and say uh, that's a general general observation. But there is there is some terrific young people out there coming on as well. You know, uh, nowhere near enough, but there's yes. some terrific. Yes. I went to um,
1: a meeting here the other night uh, with a lot of young people who were getting active.
2: Yeah, that's great, and and, 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 and you can push people so far. Mm and people will stand up, and it's, it's good to see that, you know, we, we, we are, uh, you know, I mean, uh, tending to use the system a bit. Uh, you know, you've got to use what, whatever you can to try and win some benefits and collective action, protected action, whatever you've got to do uh, is what you've got to do, and there's a fair bit of that starting to happen here now, and it's good. I mean, I just wanted to say uh, yeah, one of the real problems that uh, uh, one of the real tragedies of my time was we had a young bloke twenty three years of age, uh young Mark Allen, who was a university graduate who was a, was would have been the leader in our union unfortunately uh during the course of his employment as an organizer uh he fell off a building in, in East Perth and was killed, right? Um, uh, but he he highlighted to me uh, just the that there is good young people out there. We've just got to get them on board, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, what do you say? And at the same time,
1: it is a fundamental to my mind that when you come into this industry, you are taking the benefits of what people won before you and you have no right to give it away. And there's been, as, as you reflected earlier, there's been so many things in our life that have been become part of the basic wages and conditions of building workers and it's only 40 45 years ago that these things came in. They weren't here before the First First World War, even the Second World War. They've come all these years later. People well, don't quite appreciate, maybe by comparison to white-collar workers, that superannuation only started in the early 80s.
2: Yeah, well, I can remember... Uh, it was in 84 we got superannuation with CBUS, and... Um, and uh, that, that was by accident because mm. we won a uh, agreement with the employers for what was called a, a burp allowance, building industry recovery payment, mm. uh, which was $9. Yep. Uh, in them days, whatever you got, uh, you got uh, agreed to by negotiation, you had to go and get it stamped by the commission, mm. uh, industrial relations commission. The commission refused to stamp that. Uh, $9 and we ended up negotiating. I remember we met with Ralph Willis, we met with a whole heap of uh, government officials uh, and finally uh, they put to the, the building unions, not just the BLF but to the, all the building unions, that uh, we should convert that allowance into superannuation. Now, uh, we were opposed to it originally, as far as uh, I remember. The ideological argument, yeah, about yeah. self-pensioning and yeah. and what would happen, uh, and it's become very true. Uh, virtually no one's going to get any pension, and it's that government's off the hook. But um, but at the end of the day, uh, we got uh, the nine dollars converted into super. I think there was $1 a dollar for an insurance payment and a dollar for administration. So the first payment. In '84 was eleven dollars um, uh, for super, and it's it's built from there. Uh, terrific, but we never got we never got uh, four weeks annual leave until the mid '70s for us. Uh, we ne- or I think it was late '70s. We never got paid sick leave, uh, public holidays, uh, public holidays, uh, all those sorts of things have all come from mid '70s onwards. So I'm talking in Western Australia anyway. From th- the mid-70s no, onwards. I think that's
1: common across Australia.
2: Now, I mean, that's not that long ago. No. And now our campaign was to win them. Now the employer's campaign is to take all of those conditions away from us, yep. you know, and things that we take for granted, like everyone out there thinks, oh, well, the boss give us four weeks annual leave, you know, wouldn't take much for them to start campaigning for that to come down to three weeks annual leave. Mm. Uh the boss gives us uh, long service leave. I be- All through my time, so many bosses said, you know, why do you get long service leave? There should be no such thing as long service leave. You know, and they have an argument. I mean, they just, they never can make enough. And if they, you know, no matter where they get it from, when they steal it back off of workers or they, no matter how they get it, they're just greedy bastards who've never got enough.
1: Well, as I said, I went to this meeting the other night in the uh, union office and uh, I ref- as I was talking, they asked me to say a few words about this podcast and uh, I reflected on uh, when I came into the industry, in your alley, rate was an allowance called follow the job. That was your redundancy. The idea was you had some money each hour, you put that aside for when you're unemployed and you're looking for a new job. Now, it never really increased much Uh, and in the end, in Victoria, partly because the bosses under the legislation at that time actually had to make some kind of redundancy payment and we got it written into the award that we had IncaLink. Well, IncaLink was more than like 30 cents an hour it was. It became an amount of money, which is now, I'm happy to say, is 160 bucks a week. Mm. But then, there was recently because of the COVID um, pandemic, a demonstration of how much things have changed in a different way. Bikes were getting stood down. Could they draw on their redundancy to survive? Because there was. If they stood down, they're not sacked, they're not redundant, but they ain't got no income because they can't work. Yep. So, yeah, okay, the board agreed to allow people to draw an amount of money each week to keep going. And then I thought to myself, yeah, we had followed the job, but you could get on the rock and roll. It wasn't a great bloody lifestyle, but you could get on the rock and roll. You could put food in your mouth. And suddenly... We're paying for that <coughs> as workers.
2: Exactly. The price
1: of our labour is now our own social security.
2: And look at our, look at superannuation. Yes. Self-pensioning, yep. you know. We used to age 65 and many builders' labourers in them days, mm. right, they never went last. on to the pension.
1: Well, they never lasted that long. As, yeah. a, as a builder's labourer, it was bloody hard to go past your 50s in those yeah, days. Well, with the true. Jackhammers and that. Yeah. But... but
2: and now it's 67 and the age is going to go up. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, anyway, where does it stop?
1: Well, probably the best way to sum it up is the struggle goes on. Yeah, I and think it does. Yeah, a
2: struggle, there to win, eh? Yeah, that's right, mate, and it'll always be the same. But just we're getting towards the end,
1: uh, I guess, of this conversation for this – Time. Well, I'm sure, I think there's actually probably a whole lot of more conversations we could have uh, just talking about the past and different aspects of the past. But is there anything that you every now and then just go bing in the back of the head and go, geez, that was good? It may not be a dispute, it may not be a, a condition one or something, but just something in your time in the industry where you just go, you sit back with a smile on your face and go, Jeez, that was bloody good.
2: Ralph, it's hard, uh, it's hard to come up with, but i tell you what does make me smile is I remember once uh, uh, the West Australian newspaper, not the West Australian, the Daily News, which was the afternoon newspaper here, um, they, uh, they, they said uh, that they were going to rename St George's Terrace Multiplex Street. And what that was all about was there was just so much building work down that street, all unionised, all with the union flags, all with 100% unionisation. And uh, no ticket, no start was working to its absolute maximum. Uh, It was fantastic. Uh, Workers were getting good money. Workers had a smile on their face. They loved it. I used to, I'll be honest, you know, as a union official walking onto a building site and people are happy and they're glad to see you and they know you, they, they aren't shitting themselves to come and talk to you. They're more yeah. than, you know, more than pleased to walk up, fuck the boss, I'm here to talk to me union mm-hmm. organiser. It was, that, 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 that that's what made me proud, made me feel good is just how, you know, when I started building workers and particularly builders, labourers, they were second-class citizens, mate. Mm. I remember when we started wearing the BLF T-shirt, I remember someone saying to me, these blokes are proud to walk into a pub wearing your t- BLF T-shirt. And I'm talking in the 70s, yep. you know? Yep. And, and, and yeah, they we're proud to be BLs. We're proud to be construction workers, you know, particularly the BLs. The BLs always had the... Had the uh, had the had the balls to have a go because even tradesmen, even my brother who was a five-year time-served tradesman, hmm. they sort of felt that the Builders' Labour was a second-class citizen, right? A 2nd class. No, no, man. The reason building, Builders' Labour has always had a go was we had to get what we could while we had a job and we were always prepared oh. to stick it to them, you know? We, we didn't have a class position. Our position was win what you can, do what you have to do and win it yeah. as hard as you can.
1: Because you weren't going to be working tomorrow anyway. That's right. Because the work right. wasn't there. But look, that is a, like a really interesting response to me because yeah. when I think about my time in the industry and it's been good and bad, up and down, in and out, the whole usual story... The one thing that sticks in my head, and I've been really pleased to realise that a whole lot of other people experienced it too, was you went to the best school in the world. It was called the Smoko Shed. Yeah. And you learnt about not just the industry and the union, but you learnt about
2: politics. You know, it, you know, it, someone, it doesn't happen now, but Ralph, I, it was great. It Ralph, was great. a bloke said to me just the other day, He said, we used to go in there to the smogo shed and we'd talk amongst ourselves, what's going on, how's your family going, what's happening, what's this, what's that, where's the, they're on strike down the road, what's the blue about, all this sort of stuff. Exactly. Today, you walk in, they've got a mobile phone in their hand, they're texting away, not a word being spoken to anyone and that's what's happened with social media, what's happened to to uh, become very insular, very isolated people.
1: Destroyed collectivism.
2: Oh, absolutely. Because they are just
1: there as an individual. Yeah. I can remember on jobs we used to do the quiz. We'd have Smoko and then everyone got their papers out and we did the quiz. Yeah. And it was the greatest comedy routine of all times because you knew something. Who the... Do you think you are bloody professor, (laughs) are you? A bloody And it went on and on and on. (coughs) It was just... It was a joy to go to work, yeah? Yeah. People, probably much more than today, were injured. People were in dreadful circumstances uh, because there was no insurance backups and all the rest of it. There were people who were doing pull-ups for, you know, groups in the community... It was all sorts of things went on, and there were blues, and the boss was getting personal, and all the rest of it. But you love going to work. You love going to work. It's it's, it sounds crazy. It That's, sounds
2: crazy, but it's true. You were with your mates. Yeah. You know, it was. Yeah, it was. Some ways it's like going to the footy club. Yeah, You know, amateur footy. I was yeah. big, big part of my life was amateur footy. You go to the footy club. You know, every it's just. It was all your mates, you just loved being with your mates and that was the same when you went to work. Yeah. You didn't have the missus in your ear. (laughs) (laughs) I remember one job,
1: we had a blue and the boss, uh, as punishment, wouldn't put on a barbecue for the Christmas break-up. So let's just say we used a little bit of entrepreneurial uh, skill and uh, collected enough scrap metal to pay for a barbecue for ourselves. That's been done a time. Yeah, (laughs) and the beer was in the fridge and and the foreman comes in and helps himself to a beer in front of the whole shed. He helped himself to a beer. Walked up to him, took it out of his hand, said, you didn't pay for this, we'll keep this one for ourselves. And that bloke... Walked out with his tail between his legs, absolutely copping it from probably about 60 blokes in that shed. The walk of shame. Oh, and it just, it, the solidarity and yeah. the, 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 some of the comments yeah. and the humor
2: and the rest of it. And you just go, it's a you know, happy it, memory. It really does highlight, that just brings one back to me. It really does highlight. Just how employers treated you. They couldn't Mm. put a beer on for Christmas. I remember Concrete Constructions, one of the biggest construction companies in the country, gave us two cans of beer (laughs) for a Christmas drink. Each worker, two cans of beer. We said, shove it up your ass, mate. We don't want your two cans of beer. Right? But that's how much they respected that you'd done a whole year's work, Mm. made them millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of profit. Mm. Right? And in return, they give you two cans of beer. They haven't changed and never will. No, no. But
1: uh, it has been an absolute pleasure talking, Kevin. And I think actually we, what I said a little bit earlier, that there's probably a fair few conversations that can be had over the, over the journey because there's whole aspects of the industry where it would be interesting to bring some people together in a room at the same time and collectively remember stuff. And yeah, that's,
2: uh, that's the big thing, Ralph, is yeah. being able to, you know, I'm 74 now, so it's, it's being able to recall back to those days and, you know, a bit of research, a bit of memory yep. jogging yep. is the way to do it. But, you know, in 40 years that I had with the union, there was a multitude of strikes and blues, and, and you know, we haven't touched on deregistration, we haven't touched on royal commissions, or, you know, campaigns to win conditions and strikes, payments for lost time, uh, you know, all of these sorts of things. There's so much that yes. we could put together. Yeah. And so, this,
1: listeners, is going to be an ongoing project. As long as I can uh, keep uh, fronting up, I'm expecting from just the number of people who have volunteered to uh, do these uh, conversations, I reckon we'll be uh, doing this for a few more years yet. And I've I, I got to be honest, Kevin, retirement doesn't suit me. <laughs> so ah. I'm, glad, I'm glad they'd be doing
2: something. Yeah, I think it... And, and, You know, listeners ought to realise the amount of work you're putting into and see 3CR doing, the amount of work you're putting into putting this all down. It's it's fantastic. We don't want you to retire. Keep doing it. Thank you very much. So, Kevin Reynolds, thank you very
1: much today. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry and we're supposed to be about Melbourne and Victoria, but this was too good an opportunity to come over to Western Australia, meet... Lots of people I know and interview quite a few of them and uh, have some stories and uh, rewrite a little bit of history in some cases, Uh, sitting down with a couple of the boys and uh, let's just say we didn't incriminate each other too much. Anyway, great stuff. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews about the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s.
0: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au And whether we were born here or born in Italy we hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our games. And break a couple of concrete forests to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face. Our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. Our builders' labor is a name to make a man feel